0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com
1: for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Yachts and Audibles Podcast Mailbag Monday Edition. I'm Matt Preem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack, all on the show today. We're all in eugene uh a dreary eugene um it's it, it certainly spring we've been wanting the cold to go away The cold has has left and entered the rain uh and i think that could probably be a good analogy for basketball too it's been a dreary couple mm-hmm. of weeks and it's still dreary but on the podcast today it's the mailbag and i'm surprised by this um basketball is kind of dominating the questions here uh it's not i think where we all wanted particularly to go <laughs> with, with the questions but it's a wide range and there was a lot more uh, basketball than expected here i think we all thought with
2: spring football starting later this week we get more yes. there um i think the hard part is it's like what more do we ask i mean maybe, maybe we'll pat ourselves on the back and say gosh we just covered all the bases everybody knows everything there's no more questions remaining um i know that's not the case but yeah i was I, with along with matt i think jared probably was surprised that we're, we're talking mostly uh basketball i know the tournaments were um well both the men and the women did make the incident but we learned that on sunday so i understand it's fresh in everyone's mind when these questions are being submitted um and we'll we're certainly addressing both tournaments during this podcast uh but we'll start with some football and it was really the only I mean, we threw out a question, uh, Q, and, and I was surprised. It's probably the fewest football questions we've had in a really long time. Um, and this is really the only one we're going to answer today, and it comes from uh, Galactic Cerro on Twitter. Would the Oregon defense be held back by a defensive line led by many returners who all struggled a year ago? Um, thank you, Galactic, for throwing a question. I think this is this is definitely the first question we've answered on the show from him. Uh, I don't know if he's asked previous questions. Um to the, to the question now, I think uh, there's a lot to work on in Oregon's defense, and there needs to be progress made everywhere. I don't think anyone would argue against that. Um, I don't know if I really agree. I think the premise is a little bit of a false one to a certain extent. That's not to say that I think Oregon's defensive line was was fantastic last year and full of numerous all-conference Defensive linemen, um, you know, that that's not what we saw. But we also didn't see a, de- a defensive line. That I think that was just absolutely dreadful. Um, I know the pass rush numbers have not been what everybody wants to see. I think that uh, that part you can acknowledge. But if you want to just look at it from, a, a, a you know, a, how I looked at it, I, I actually graded the defensive line better than any position group on defense. Uh, it was really close between defensive line and the defensive backs. Um, I had a 6.9 for D-line, 6.85 for defensive uh, for the secondary. And then linebackers were a distant third at 6.23. And I think that's genuinely, and we've said this several times in the podcast where most of the issues on defense stem from. And then if you want to look at it from an individual perspective, uh, Brent Dorliss was the sixth best defensive end in the PAC 12. Uh, Jordan Riley was your worst starting defensive lineman. He's gone. He was 17th out of 30 starting uh, interior defensive lineman uh, amongst PAC 12 players. And Casey Rogers was 12th. He is back. So certainly not, superstar defensive line play, but you're looking at top half players, top you know 15, 20% players uh, in the Pac-12 at their position groups, at least with Dorales and, and Rogers. Uh, and then if you want to look at it for how they did against the run last year, they were fourth in the Pac-12, a couple of yards behind Washington for third. And um, I know this, the reason a lot of people have these issues is because of this game. But if you were to remove the Oregon state game, I think Oregon was either in first or second going into that in the conference and rushing yards allowed and, and gave up a million. So, uh, and I, again, I know that game is probably where a lot of these issues with the defensive line come from. Because before that, I think Oregon's D line played pretty okay. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll shut up and listen to to Jared and Matt to see if they agree or disagree with kind of the thing I've outlined here. Um, again, not minimizing need for for progress for improved play, especially from a pass rush perspective. Um, I would just say I wouldn't say everyone who who was on the defensive line struggled last year.
0: Yeah, and I I wouldn't either. I think it's fair to be critical of the defensive line last year because uh, that that went into a lot of Oregon's defensive struggles. Uh, Without a pass rush, uh, quarterbacks were able to stay in the pocket, uh, maintain a pocket presence, and look downfield and hit open players. Um, It's still really difficult to be a defensive back in college or the NFL. You have to stay locked in on somebody and. As we know from Oregon's linebacking core and some of their, their safety room, they weren't the best coverage or man-to-man coverage defenders, so I had to play zone a lot, which gives the quarterback even more time. But that being said, you know, Brandon Doyle is still a very productive player. Uh, his stats just don't pop up on on the scorebook or, whatever the, or after the game on your ESPN app, your Pac-12 app, uh, mostly because he's an interior lineman. And those guys are meant to pressure the quarterback, but it's really easy for – mobile and agile quarterbacks to run away which the pac-12 is full of and it will be full of next season Uh, what oregon was missing the most was an edge rusher and what we all thought dj johnson would have been is somebody who i think jordan birch will be um birch is a south carolina transfer former five star was very productive in his final season in south carolina although south carolina fans don't think he was that productive um which you know it's kind of a home home crowd bias there and somebody who was compared to Jadavion Clowney at points during his high school recruitment. However, he was still good. He still had over 40 quarterback pressures the entire season, which was a little bit more than Brandon Doorless. Um, But now adding both those guys on the defensive front really helps. Uh, and then you have all the the guys who are coming back, like Eric ran through. Those guys were productive. They just didn't make it a significant difference. And that's exactly what Oregon needed last year was a difference maker. Um, and I don't really think that they had a true difference maker, but, this year, you bring in guys. You bring in a lot of four-star talent. You bring in Mateo Uyangalele as well, the highest of the four-star talent. Um, there's more options for there to be a difference maker other than Jordan Birch this upcoming season. Not like there was last season. So, I think again, I think it's critical. Or I think it's okay to be critical of the defensive line last season. I just think there's a context to it all, and I think it's important to explain that context compared to just saying that they were bad. But yeah, at points they they weren't great.
1: I think there's legitimate concern here um because we're banking on the fact that while i do think birch is going to be a playmaker for oregon he had inconsistencies at south carolina and you could argue that well like the the level of competition the level of play he'll face week in week out will go down in the pac-12 meaning his production could theoretically go up but as we've just seen this season for the, you know, for the basketball teams, just automatically assuming consistent, you know, inconsistencies are going to get smoothed out and you know, for another year, just doesn't happen. Um I, I do agree with Jared that like Oregon's added a couple other guys. So like last year, it felt like they had one guy, one or maybe two guys that you could like pinpoint and say, this is our pass rusher. This is a guy that, that that's going to generate some pass rush and it's up to him or up to these two or maybe three guys. That number has expanded a little bit. It feels like going into spring football, but they still have to put it together. Um, I'm not completely like scared out of my mind that Oregon won't have a pass rush, but at the same time, you kind of also have to, you know, believe it when you see it type deal. Um, it's one of these where I, I think the defensive line will be, will be good, but I think you have to have some kind of reservation going into fall. And I don't want to say spring because we saw DJ Johnson generate all those sacks in the spring game. We saw other guys get sacks, and we felt like, hey, this, this group was going to be good, at least at pass rush. You know They were solid against the run this past season they were terrible against pass rush, you know, the lowest number in sacks since 2000 or since 1986. Um, So I I feel good about the run, but, you know, defensive line play is a two, you know, two prong attack. You have to be good against the run and you have to be good against the, you know, the pass. And for the pass one, you, you have to have some reservations here.
2: Well, what about the general premise about a defense being held back by poor defensive line play? Do we, do we agree with that sentiment that that's a major concern?
1: But, yes
0: and no. Yeah, what do you what do you mean? Like last year's defense the ge- the was held ge- back well, by it?
2: Well, this upcoming year, the, the way the premise of the question is asked, will the Oregon defense be held back? That's talking about this upcoming season, and he's talking about the you know the returners primarily. I think this. I, I just wanted to reach kind of focus this question to to answer his sure. question because we have talked about Jordan Birch, we talked about pass rush issues. I think pass rush carries into these concerns about struggles from last year, but. I, I think what this question is getting at is: Do we think any of these returning guys are any good? Like, and and do we think these guys can be difference makers? And can they make? Can they take steps? Or is this defense going to be held back by the fact that the personnel is in large part going to be very similar to what it was a year ago? Which which is the I case. Think,
1: I think last year, like the overall defense was, you know, particularly the secondary was held back a little bit because they couldn't generate a pass rush. It doesn't matter how good of, you know, of, of a DB room you have they can't cover forever and uh-huh. so if if you can't generate a pass rush those guys are going to give up plays and then if you factor in the fact that maybe some of these guys last year weren't elite dbs and you're asking them to cover for now six or seven seconds when you know three or four they're going to be okay at it beyond that that's going to take a significant dip so yeah like, I, I think you could argue that the overall defense was held back a little bit because they couldn't generate a pass rush but you know it's the overall defense was also held back because the linebacker play wasn't very good. You know, I, I, I think you could, you could pinpoint every position group holding back the overall defense.
0: Yeah. And like, and like Matt was saying, there's, there's a lot of things that you could point to as why the defense was held back. Um, the linebacker room, the pass rush, uh, I guess just the personnel. That's not really fitting what a Tosh Lupoy and Dan Lanning defense need. Um, Like There's been an adjustment in that course in the offseason, especially through the transfer portal and the type of players that they'd like to see assembled for this defense. Um, I guess overall, to answer the question, like, will it be held back by the returners? I don't know. Maybe the returners will get better this offseason. Like, again, this is we're we're still in March. We have spring spring camp coming up. And like Matt said, it'll be more important to see what it looks like in September rather than in March. But. You know, I I like the guys coming back. I like Casey Rogers. I like Sam Taimani. Uh, I like Jordan Riley at the time. I guess, you know, he he was just there to be a running down guy. That's why Oregon's rush defense was really good until Oregon State. Um, You still got Popo coming back as well. Brandon Dorless is an actual dude. He's been one of the better defensive linemen in the Pac-12 for the last couple of seasons. Um, Yeah, and you still have Keonware hudson as well coming back. So again, I like the returners. I think that they're all quality players. I just think that Oregon has last year really needed a better edge rusher because, again, when you're a defensive end and unless you're Aaron Donald who can get in and tackle the quarterback, um, it's a lot easier to, as a quarterback, it's a lot easier to be able to see the defensive lineman coming at you head on and make an adjustment there rather than somebody who's coming from your blind side, which is why they call it a blind side because you can't see them. Uh, So. Edge rushing is going to be more important this season. I think that Oregon has done a good job stacking up on it. But overall, I like the returners. I like what they did. Um, I think everybody fell in love with Casey Rogers in the Holiday Bowl. I think he's a solid player. Uh, again, I, I don't know if that's going to hold back the defense because to Matt's point, there's a lot of things that held back the defense last year. And I think it'll if the defense is held back, I think it'll be a similar proposition this upcoming season.
2: And that's why I try to reframe it because I, I, I actually am not – like this is one of the things I'm least concerned about on defense is, is these veteran mm-hmm. guys on the front line. Like I, I understand the lack of a pass rush stats. I, I I think I almost Lou Holtz that right there. Pass rush. Um,
0: Chris Collinsworth, please. Was, was
2: it Chris Collinsworth? I thought Lou Holtz was also rush. rush, rush. Anyway. Um,
0: oh, well, you know, he, yeah, I'll stop there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Lou. Um, no, but no, I, 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 the point I was trying to make is that, you know, you look at the way the defense is set up. Like I, I don't, Necessarily think the defensive line a year ago was just atrocious, and I think that feels like the way the premise is being created here. And, and Galactic, feel free to reach out and correct me uh, if I'm wrong there. But I I didn't think a lot of the issues a year ago were entirely due to the defensive front. I thought they kind of did their job most of the time um, on rundowns. Like I I think you go back and look at the way the season played out. I don't think there were very many games where Oregon got gashed until the Oregon State game, and obviously the Georgia game wasn't great, but that's Georgia. Um, but you look at everything in between, and I think it was pretty darn good. And, and I think that's what I'm getting at, is that this is a group that is experienced. I think there is also some value with that. Um, you know, we're going to get to, I think Jared brought up a good point, too, with individual progress and players getting better. And that's something I think we oftentimes overlook. It's something I've been thinking about quite a bit this week as we head into spring. Uh, it's just the fact that, you know, we're we've kind of got our our we're entering with our own biases, if you will, about who's good, who's not, who's going to fit here, who's going to fit there. Well, that also discounts what kind of progress players will make in the offseason in this spring. And there's no reason to say that a defensive line group that last year, again, I don't think was terrible, could take a step up and be be better. Um, you know, I, I, I so I, I'm not super concerned there. I'm a lot more concerned about linebacker, um, and I'm a lot more concerned, I think, about how everything figures out at, at corner than along the defensive line. Um, but I understand I understand people get concerned because there were some issues on the defense last year, and, and none of the positions were immune to that. And and we'll see what the progress looks like here. But I, I probably feel significantly better than it sounds like um, both of you and, and I think a lot of the listeners are just about where everything's at on the defensive line. I don't look at it as being a huge hole. Jared, you're shaking Yeah, head. You disagree?
0: No, I don't look at it as a big hole either. That was my whole point. It's like I like the returners. I think it'll be fine. Whether or not it is what holds back the defense, we'll find out eventually. But I think there's a lot of other spots, like you said, that you could point to where it could hold back the defense. But I like the defensive line. I like the depth. And I like the returners.
2: All right, let's go on to the second question here. Uh, We're going to spend some time now talking basketball. And we're going to close with uh, some golf recommendations for uh, those who uh, are interested uh, we'll let Matt and Jared kind of get into that here as we close. But uh, we're going to start with the men's tournament. A question from at Cruz 84 How do you feel this NIT seed – how do you feel about this NIT seed for the Oregon men's basketball team and how far will they go? First-time questioning and a long-time listener. Hashtag Audibles Hashtag Ducks. Thank you, Levi, for submitting your first question. Matt, no NCAA tournament. I don't think we've talked yeah. in a pod since they were – Maybe we had since no we haven't since they were eliminated from the Pac-12 tournament by UCLA uh, at the end of last week, end up in the NIT. Go ahead. What what just kind of what's your instant reaction to, to how everything set up and kind of lay out for the listener? Kind of where things are going forward.
1: I think it helped. Uh, North Carolina said we are too good to play basketball beyond the NCAA tournament because that was going to be a team that was going to be a one seed. I don't I don't know if Oregon would have been a one seed if it wasn't for that. Um, So they get the one seed in the lower left bracket. They've got Liberty, Villanova, Wisconsin, Bradley, Florida, UCF, and then their opponent, the team that they lost to game two of the season, UC Irvine uh, Wednesday night, um, chance for some revenge. I mean, I I, I guess there's three things that are important for this tournament, I guess, for the men. Um, First of all, Get the 20 wins that's a streak that's gone 12 straight years um that's important dana's talked about that in the past how it's a sense of pride for the team uh secondly it's trying, and you know establish you know the start of the 2023 2024 season now and whether that's you you give minutes to biddle you know, or, you know, more minutes there or more minutes to Kuznar since he's coming back. Maybe, maybe it's trying Khalil Ware in some spots to see how he handles it. If he comes back, there are prospects of winning going, how far do they go? It's considering they lost to the first team, you know, the team that they're playing first game, they could lose week one or game one. Um, And I also think they could, find themselves in Las Vegas for the semifinals at the end of March. Um, But this team, you have no idea what they're going to look like. Um, I I would expect them to beat UC Irvine. I would expect them to beat Florida or UCF, whoever they play in that one. And then after that, you know, you have to play, you know, Bradley's a really good mid-major team. Wisconsin is a, a solid Big Ten team. Um, Villanova is just like Oregon. They were hurt all year and they're now healthy. Um, I, I I think if you're Oregon, the expectation is that you win at least one game. You should win two. And then beyond that, you're probably, you know, hey, you, you got a couple games in, all of them at home. Solid, solid run for the tournament, I guess. I mean, it's
0: it's always a shame when a team makes the NIT. I feel like it's yeah. It used to mean something, and now it is just a modern-day, just big old consolation prize. And, you know, and if Oregon chooses to just play all the youngins, like all the young guys and just, I don't know, provide rest for Nefale, Dante, or Will Richardson, I feel like that would be the best course of action. Like, just see what these guys have. And, you know, you want to get to 20 wins, obviously, to continue the streak, like Matt said. I just don't – I don't know. Like Matt, do you think it means anything if they were to win the chip, the NIT chip?
1: I don't think it doesn't hurt. Um, I mean, I, no yeah. one's gonna be out here, no one's gonna be out here next season going, Oh, well, I mean, we're gonna win the NIT. Watch out. Like they're gonna, you know, that's a team on the rise. Like that that won't happen. That'll happen regardless of them winning the whole thing or losing, because they've got three five stars essentially coming into the, the the program. Right. Um but ending your season with a win is always a good thing. Yeah, there's no debating that for sure.
0: It's just, you know, for for Oregon, getting getting another home game is nice. I guess if people want to come watch the Ducks on a Wednesday night, that that hasn't really happened all season long. So I don't no. know if it'll continue against UC Irvine. Um, Irvine's a good program. Uh, they had a good season. They eventually lost to Cal State Fullerton in the Big West semifinals or conference yeah. fi- or whatever it is, the quarterfinals. Um, Cal, Cal State is an NCAA uh, tournament team. It's a good program there, too. Uh, it's going to be, uh, honestly, if they beat UC Irvine, I don't think it's going to be that difficult of a, of a roadmap for Oregon. Um, I've seen a bit of Florida. They're they're fine, but they're an SEC opponent, so they kind of have some hype going in. And then eventually, it's either going to be Wisconsin or probably Liberty because Villanova has been so up and down this season. And I don't know anything about Liberty, but I do know that Wisconsin was a bubble team, just like Oregon was. They probably could have had two or three more wins this season and would have been into the tournament. So I think that would be a good fight. Um, you know, I think they're they're one of the most talented programs in this NIT. It's just. Like you said, Matt, will they put it all together? Because I don't know. Nobody knows, and that's the problem with this whole team. This entire year, is they look, you know, fan. They, you know, they ultimately win against Washington State. They look fantastic in the first half, and then they, you know, blow at one. I think it was an 18 or 19 point lead overall. It's like it, it's it's hard to do, but but they did it and all, nearly lost. And so, I, yeah, like I could see them losing to Irvine in the first round and having a rather disappointing end of the year or, you know, heck, maybe they get to the finals and maybe they go to wherever the finals are. It's a new Orleans. So maybe they go there, Matt, maybe you have a nice road trip in your future.
1: Uh it's, it's Vegas. It's Orleans arena, not new Orleans, Orleans arena, Vegas, Yes, Vegas,
0: deal. Maybe but you I like Vegas, Vegas trip. And yeah, I was going to say yeah. that's no, that's <laughs> no problem. That's,
2: almost, that's too much Vegas for you, man. I don't want you – that's like that's like an extra Vegas. How much Vegas do you need to do? Plus, I mean, we have our Pac-12 Football Media Day in Vegas this year. I mean, do you need that much Vegas?
1: <laughs> no, I don't need that much Vegas. Um, I will say this, though. Like, I am happy that they chose to play and they didn't take the route that North Carolina did because I, I don't know how it – it just feels – this isn't a tournament anyone wants to be in. I get that. You want to be in the big boy tournament. But to say that you're too good for this just feels, I don't know. I don't know if it's wrong or not. It just doesn't feel right. And so, you know, whether Oregon's going to show up and have any interest in playing or not, we don't know. But at least they're, you know, they're coming out and saying, hey, we're going to still compete. It doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. I mean, I understand why UNC said that. Like, I get why they would say that but I I do think it's the number one
1: team in the country.
0: Yeah. And they're, you know, they're, they're real blue blood and all that stuff. And maybe they are too good for it from at least like an aesthetic perspective. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's total UNC to go out there and and say, Oh, we're too good for this and point their nose at you. But yeah, I I do. I agree, man. I think it's good for Oregon to go out there and continue to get some reps. Um, Although the games uh, ultimately don't mean anything other than just for pride and uh, for that win streak, but yeah, I think it's fine. I think it helps. I think it's a good thing to keep all the guys in the same team. Try to keep the camaraderie up for a lot of them because, you know, on paper, a lot of them could be coming back. So I think that helps. Yeah. Um, I think it's an opportunity just for for guys to potentially prove themselves. So kind of like kinda like last season, but again, it's not exactly where you want to be. Go to break.
1: Yeah, uh, let's take a quick break. uh, And when we come back, we'll fill up the uh, last two questions of the mailbag.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.
1: All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. A uh, couple questions in, a couple more to go. First, que- uh, first question
2: back from at Jack061265. So many wa- numbers. I'm wondering if he's born June 12th, 1965. Do we have a, a, a almost a sixty year old on the on, asking the questions? Is that is that where, is that where we are? i like to try to decide for numbers.
1: Hey, there's nothing wrong with sixty year olds.
2: Not at all. My dad's just, my dad's a little over sixty. He's a good guy. My mom's over sixty. Seems like a nice lady. Uh, you know. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Jack's question. I'm worried for Oregon women's basketball, especially if India Rogers leaves, not much from the perimeter, and a big that barely shoots 50%. I have my thoughts, but I'll ask you what needs to happen this offseason to at least make the NCAAs next year. And if they don't, is KG on the hot seat? Um, thank you, Jack, for your question. I think another, this might be a, a, a clean sweep. I think all four today, first-time question askers. Love that. Uh, appreciate the new question. Uh, askers means there's, maybe we're hitting a new audience, new people listening. Obviously, obviously, Levi said earlier he'd been a long-time listener. Uh, first-time question asker. Appreciate people jumping in and, and putting their thoughts out there. Um, yeah, you know, this is a this is a tough one. Yeah, you know, this is a very disappointing season for for Oregon women's basketball. Preseason number two in the Pac-12. Opened the season uh, near the top fifteen, I think, in the uh, in the, in the uh, AP rankings. Um, had a really great start to the year. I mean, there's a ton of optimism, uh, you know, through November and into December. They were ten and one going into uh, a game with at the time number one ranked ohio state who had kind of a down big 10 run and i think finishes a three seed um but after that it really didn't go well for oregon and uh you know they, they they struggled i think for a lot of reasons you touched on a few here jack um you know outside of india rogers very little consistency from the perimeter offensively um, you're right the bigs down low at a hard time i think you, i know you said big i know i think you're referring to philly but grace van Sleuten as well i know she was first first team uh all-conference uh, freshman, but shot 50, 47% from the field, had significant difficulty with certain types of bigs, I think. Um, I think if you look back at the season, I think when, went, when Grace went against longer players, maybe a little bit more athletic players, she had a really hard time scoring, getting to her spots, finishing. I think some of that had to do with the ankle issues she had, which impacted her ability to lift. But needless to say, they had a hard time scoring around the basket. And Philly's just very raw. Um, and so, yeah. She wasn't particularly consistent finishing. She was a great rebounder, good rim protector, offensively a bit challenged. I think has a better feel than I thought, um, if I'm being totally honest, because I thought she was actually pretty good up top initiating some of that offense at times uh, with backdoor cuts. Also had some tr- some difficulties with some high-low entry passes and, and catching, but a lot of it you liked. Um, but, yeah, t- to next season, um, and I guess before we jump to next season, uh, not to take all the time on, on this, uh, Oregon is also in the di- – The the women's equivalent of the NIT, the WNIT, Uh, the field for that has been announced, but the uh, bracket will be uh, released very shortly after this podcast, so I can't tell you what is coming up, but Oregon will host a game like the men uh, at some point this week. I have no idea who it'll be against. I don't know what'll happen uh, after that, but uh, for those that maybe didn't catch up on that before we jump into next year, let's just kind of tie a bow on the end of this year, which is they are still playing games. They have a chance to win. Again, disappointing year. First time in the WNIT since 2016. Uh, as to next year, yeah, if Rogers leaves, that hurts a lot. And I think that we should note there's still a chance that she returns. She has not closed the door on that. Everything I've heard is that it's a decision that has not been finalized. That might have changed in the last 10 days since the Pac-10 turn, Pac-12 tournament down in Vegas. Wouldn't surprise me if it has. Um, if she doesn't come back, that hurts a bunch. She was by far your best player. She's an all-conference player, uh, one of the, you know the 15 players chosen for that, and I think one of the Truly truly one of the six to seven best players in this conference. Certainly one of the best perimeter players. Um, If she comes back, that gives you a really impressive starting five. In my opinion, at least it's the same starting five as last year. If she doesn't, you have to replace that spot. Now, reasons to be optimistic. We've spent a lot of time talking about why not. Um, Player development. Talked about it earlier. Players get better. Oregon starts three players that were basically first-year players at this level and first-year starters. We talked about Shea, Van Sluten, also Chance Gray. Those three players, you figure, should grow. They should get a little bit better. Um, all those players were playing in completely different roles this year, going through college, really for the first time. I know Philly, I'm kind of grouping her in there, but she had two years of high school experience before college. She's about as raw as they come coming into college. You saw that. We talked about that. Um, so you expect those three to get better, and that's kind of your core for the next three years. Um, you hope. You don't know what the portal's going to hold. Sometimes it gets it provides unexpected difficulty. Um, and then you see Tahina Pow Pow coming back shoot maybe she continues to shoot the ball really really well like she has now maybe this is maybe this is a you know kind of a, a launching off point and next year she can be more consistent she can take a step into that pal pal role that would, or the rogers role that would be the best case scenario they are going to need a veteran guard to help there but i think you know the other thing that really stands out to me here is is i don't know if his roster is very well constructed and some of it wasn't entirely the staff's fault because of things that were outside of their control with you wanted to have a little more experience down, down low. Well, that player gets lost for the season. You wanted to have more uh, you know, scorers off the bench. Well, that player transfers after nine games, 10 games. Um, but I think what they really need to do is go find some more long perimeter players. Because I think Oregon struggles defending guards in this conference. There's a lot of really good guards. They struggled all season with that against the better guards. Um, they don't really have those wing stoppers that Chance Gray is developing, but she was really your best perimeter defender by a mile. I think they mm-hmm. need to find more players there. And, and they frankly need to find, if, if Rodgers is gone, they need to go find about the best possible transfer portal point guard they can. They need to go find the top one there, and they need to add a couple bigs. Uh, I know they will be aggressive this offseason. I'm told they're going to uh, take up to upwards of three or four players from the portal. So I think you will see a, a different looking team. Um, but, yeah, uh, that's kind of how that all lays out. And then, I'll, let, Jared, do you have any other thoughts? And then we can hit the KG on the hot seat thing after.
0: Well, I was just thinking that, you know, if Rodgers leaves, that's a big portion of your offense just completely gone. Um, and, I, you know, I liked what I saw from Grace and uh, Chance Gray last season, but neither of those guys were real, really good initiators. Like they couldn't initiate their own shots, uh, which Rodgers could and Powell, Powell towards the end of the season once it looked like she got healthier, uh, was able to do. And I think that's a, a positive for both of those players. But for Gray and Van Luton I think that's a step in player development that they need to take in order to initiate their own offense. Um, and you know, I, I expect them to be extremely aggressive in the transfer portal as well, because this is a couple of seasons in a row that just don't live up to the standard that they have set and or the precedent that they've set the last couple or of years before the before you know the pandemic, basically in 2020. And you know, basketball recruiting was unbelievably hard during that time time frame. So uh you know that that kind of rolls into where they are now in terms of their player development um but you know i think it's a similar situation as the men's team i believe that they need more shooting i I, they need to be able to have somebody who's a knockdown threat and rogers was that but unfortunately a lot of her three-pointers were coming off the dribble and while she's capable of hitting those um it's just harder it just is flat out harder to shoot off the dribble than it is to shoot flat footed and be a spot up shooter. And with Rogers, if she is to come back, she's an excellent playmaker. She hits players open in the corner. She, you know, creates offense for others, creates those open looks that, you know, if you were giving to somebody who shot 39 to 42% from deep in the, from the portal, instead of Elise Hurst, who goes through these unbelievably cavernous ups yeah. and downs this season, that would have been a lot more effective than it had been. Um, but again, like you, have, but you have to keep playing Elise least because when she gets when she, when she gets hot from distance, she's well, an unbelievable shooter. You had to play, her, and you had to play they don't, her don't have they don't other
2: have options. Else. Yeah, exactly. yeah, there's nobody else.
0: else. And I remember bringing that up at the beginning of the year. It's like, oh man, they only have like nine scholarship athletes or ten scholarship athletes, and then uh, Jenna Asai left, um, and then it became nine, and it's like, oh, that's that's not good. I, I, I was, I'll be interested to see if Kelly Graves adds a walk-on or two this upcoming season because they might, they, you know, I feel like they've been kind of burned by just not having anybody else to play. And even if it is a walk-on, you saw, like, from the men's team when people were decimated by injuries, they at least would put other people in there and whether or not they would be good is subject to interpretation. I don't I mean, they're, they're walk on so, you know, it doesn't really matter. But um, they just need – they need more uh, – options it's as simple as that like you said eric there just wasn't any other option for them to play it's like okay well we don't have any more guards and for forwards it's the same situation it's if someone got in foul trouble especially philly it's yeah, you know, oregon was was screwed they just didn't have the size to deal with a team if if that other team had size and yeah, you know, i to, to go back to the overall question if rogers leaves there's that's a big hole to fill that's going to be very difficult for the coaching staff to to go out and, th- like you said, Eric, they would have to land one of the top five to ten players in the country in the portal in order to apl- replace Rogers because that's what she was at points last season.
1: Hosen, Dovehurst, and Hanson are all gone, right? Like they they can't come back if yep. they've
0: exhausted yep. eligibility.
1: Yeah. So, like, I almost I mean. That gives them what? Eight. I think they have eight scholarship players for next year currently. When you count in the freshmen that are coming in. Eight
2: uh, or nine. Uh, you, no, I think it's isn't it? I think it's nine. Nine. I, I, let, let me do the math up. I'm sorry. I, they, I I don't have that pulled in front of me here. I'll do it.
1: The the women's programs, they're allowed fifteen scholarship players. So right. like let's just say it's nine. If I'm Kelly Graves, I'm adding six players. I I don't I'm using all 15 spots. And I'm probably picking a player at every position. And I'm treating it very much like the man named Dan Lanning has done this spring, where he's picked we'll use Chris Hudson as an example. Chris Hudson's a two year starter, and he went out and landed a guy that's a power five starter, and he's going, you know, and Tez Johnson plays the same position. He's trying to go and get Gary Bryant Jr plays the same position. I, I would find a player at every position and basically say, "Hey, uh, Chance, we love you. You're the starter. You're, you're you know you yeah. you started all of last season. We think you can be the starter of this season, but we're bringing in another player too to push you, and you got to earn the job again." That's almost how I would treat this season. This so off season is it's uh it's ten. They're at ten right now. Uh, 10 they get five. So they. And
2: I, I guarantee they won at five. The reason we hit re, – because just to, just no. to lay out, I, I know we don't want to go into all this, but here's, sure. here's the reason that they had a short roster. is because they, they had almost a full complement the year before and then everyone transferred because they didn't get enough playing time. And so Kelly thought mm-hmm. – and I, I think I would be curious to get him on a podcast because I think he'll be somewhat honest in the offseason if he thinks that was the right choice or not. Because he wasn't sure even at the time. I remember talking to him on a podcast last, uh, last kind of summer, and he was basically like, we'll see. Arizona and, and us are doing it totally differently. We've decided not to hit the portal because if we hit the portal, we're then going to create issues on our own roster, and then we're going to have everybody disperse after. We've already been through it two straight years. We need continuity, so we're going to go small roster. Arizona went out and filled it. They think they had 14 or 15. Uh, you know, Neither team had a great season. Arizona obviously made the tournament, so that's better uh, than Oregon. But, yeah, I, I I think three is the number to look for here. I think they're going to hit three okay. portal players. I think they're going to have 13, mm-hmm. which is still really close to the max. Um, but, yeah, no, I th- that's the approach – I'm anticipating. And you can
1: still do that. You can still do that theory, though, with three. You take one really good guard, one really good forward, and one really good center, and basically just challenge, you know, everybody. Gray, Pow Pow, and say, look, we're bringing in one player, and, you know, one of you guys is going to have to, you know, prove that that you're worthy of staying in the starting lineup. I agree with Jared. Finding
2: perimeter shooting is helpful. I was also stunned. I was just trying to see where they rank nationally in three-point shooting. Jared, do you want to guess where they are? Like what the ranking can, is?
0: Can I get uh, out of like how many teams are we?
2: Out of all Division One women's basketball teams, which is like three hundred and fifty, maybe three hundred and fifty exactly. Man, I guessed it. Purple. I know the three nice. point
1: total. Do you want to know the three point total, Jared? That they shot as a team. Is that cheating? As a team, the percentage. No, sure. I like. I'd like to see him. No, I want to see him. Just oh, guess. okay. What do, you, what do
0: you think they are? Out of three hundred and fifty, man. Give me, give me three twenty four they're 23rd
2: nationally. Yeah. They, no. they they were the best 3 shooting in the Pac-12 by about 2 percentage points.
1: 30 almost really? 36% from 3 as as a team. Yeah, so I think finding perimeter shooting is
2: certainly a, a value, but I think they're actually pretty good there. Rodgers and Pow ended up shooting about 40% both on the year. Gray was 34%, Hansen was 37.
1: The issue was the I the, feel like I'm hurt, in the twilight zone.
0: Shooting. That doesn't make that doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, cuz I think Well, what, it's it's because of like what we talked about earlier, they didn't have a lot of players. So when, when like Pow Pow has an off shooting night, that drastically impacts it because you don't have two or three other players that can make make up the slack to, for the for the
2: shooting. It, it was the the issue. Yeah, I mean it was just, it was really what it was is like they they were very inconsistent because Pow Pow finishes the season on this tear, and I bet that put them mm-hmm. up up like a one percentage point itself. And then Rodgers was incredible through the first half of conference. They just never stacked it where they were sh- you know where they were hitting. 12 to 13 on 50 percent shooting um so okay so i think we've addressed a lot of this and we can move on to the last question in a moment but i did want to hit the last part which is if i think if they don't reach the tournament next year is kg on the hot seat um i think if they don't make the NCAA tournament next year he enters the hot seat the following season i don't think he's going to get fired after two years without an NCAA tournament appearance um i think he's done enough in terms of bringing in this program to where they are before they've made Five straight tournaments coming into this year really should have been six because one of the years was the COVID year where they're obviously going to make it as a as a one seed and one of the favorites to win the whole thing. Um, I don't see a, 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 a kind of a roadmap for him getting fired at the end of next season unless it's like they just unless they have like a three or four win total season, which would be a huge disaster. I don't see them heading in that direction, and I I kind of think this will course correct a little bit. Maybe I'm just being too optimistic because I do think that. Look, they've done well in terms of recruiting portal players in the past. Uh, you know, India Rogers has been very, very valuable for them. Aaron Bowley, you think about what she provided them for years, mm-hmm. even before that, Mignon Moore. Uh, this year, I mean, I, I thought Taya Hansen was a valuable piece of the roster. I think they'll do okay mm-hmm. in the portal. I think this roster will look a lot stronger. I don't think you're going to go into next year with the same expectations, which might help, too, because they were picked second in the conference. They finished eighth. Uh, Utah is going to be really – the conference is going to be really good. So my guess is that they enter probably somewhere in the fifth or seventh range in the preseason. And that might not be a bad thing if they end up finishing, I don't know, fourth or fifth in the conference, which which is an outcome that could see happening. But that's a lot of stuff that's down the line. And Rodgers coming back will play obviously a huge role in whatever this team looks like next year. Because she was undoubtedly your best player. And
1: if she comes back for a, a fifth year, um, that would be really big. Did you have something, Matt? We should also know I, – I think it's crazy that – Kelly Graves is even being discussed as fired. Mm-hmm. But yep. um, we should note that he signed a, a new contract that in 2021 that runs yep. all the way to the end of the 2029 season. So even if it gets disastrous, where they don't make the NCAA tournament for three or four straight years, um, he's locked in for a while and it's going to take uh, a pretty significant buyout for the women's side of college basketball to get out of that contract. Um I'm actually reading your story Eric, the buyout is 500,000 if it happens before May 31st of 2024. Um and then it drops down to 250,000 um after that, but he's paid 1.3 million dollars through 2020 20 uh, 2029. um i don't think he's on the hot seat i mean i don't cover the team um just from my perspective though if they don't make the ncaa tournament next season like i i wouldn't fire him i i would agree with eric that seat's probably warm going into that next year but even then like i wouldn't probably fire him unless it, unless the program just took disastrous turns and mm-hmm. Fan interest was gone and they weren't you know, they weren't even five hundred. Like here's the thing. I I don't know what the, the women's attendance records are um for Pac 12 this season, but I, I can probably pretty much guarantee you Oregon was in the top three. They were second for attend yeah, for the attendance. So they were they were,
2: uh, they were eighth nationally last I saw, but that was a couple weeks ago.
1: Yeah. So like fan support is still there, they're still recruiting at a high level. Um, you know, sometimes you just hit a you know a bump in the road, and this is probably what that is. We'll see. Yeah, I
0: think the. I was just going to say, I think the the idea that Kelly Graves is on the hot seat is is very silly. I think he's a very good basketball coach. I think he's had some tough luck here with with the COVID run. I kind of talked about it earlier, where the, the recruiting, where you know Kelly brings in the best class of all time at Oregon, and turns out. Recruiting during COVID is, is difficult. You don't get to meet with the players. You don't get to see how they actually are. And I uh, feel like that kind of all it fell on itself And it, well, it was during the same time period. Yeah. Yes? Oh, I, I was just
2: going to say, well, life in those two years, the, the, the year directly after when that Fab Five class was here was really difficult. They couldn't even practice together. They had practices split into groups. Like they, yeah, they right. couldn't even spend time with each other. So you wonder mm-hmm. why culture could be a problem. These girls didn't know each other. I mean, I, I know for a fact, like, I, I'm not sure if some of these girls that were here really ever made it to more than one or two buildings on campus because all their classes were online and the only buildings they went to were to play basketball. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there was a it, ton yeah. of issues with that, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that, that goes into, like, well, the men were able to get through it. Well, it's because the men, like, yeah, they lost Peyton Pritchard, but Duarte was back from the previous year. Eugene Marie was on that team red Eric Williams was mm-hmm. on that team red Will Richardson was on that team. Francis Okoro was back, and Falai Dante was back. All these guys knew each other already. Like yeah. the chemistry was basically there, and they and so even though they played there in COVID and they had the same issues that the women did of being able to fully practice, like they knew each other, that they'd, they'd played with each other before, and so it wasn't that difficult to conceive them making it to the Sweet 16, like they did.
0: Yeah, and also they were, they'd all been previous college students, maybe yeah. not at Oregon, but. They had understood how you know college worked and and that part of this of it all and yeah I just with with Graves yeah his contract is until till twenty twenty nine I I would be kind of honestly surprised if he wasn't here until then um you know, the fans love him I think he's a I think he's a good coach in his own right um and you know yeah maybe I'm consciously optimistic as well but I don't think this is going to be a multiple year period run where. They don't make the NCAA tournament. Um, I think this is important year coming up because you know the last two years have been less than satisfactory, and it's important that they need to you know hit hard in the transfer portal and make sure that they continue their player development. And um, so maybe there's a chance that they could be going that Kelly could be on the hot seat by the end of next or the yeah by the end of next season. But I doubt it. I don't think it'll happen.
1: I think both programs go into 2023, 2024 where it's a pivotal moment in their trajectories. Um, it's probably a fork in the road. like one one road leads to the program going back to where they've been and where they kind of are expected to be and the other one is probably one where you don't really know where it goes and it, it gets bumpy and you know maybe it does lead down to a coaching change. But I, I still think that's a long road to, to get to um, for, for both programs because we talk a lot about loyalty and, you know, wanting players to stay and, you know, oh, show the loyalty. Don't transfer when it gets, you know, hard and stuff like that. Why why do the coaches not get the same effect here? To, I know it's a, a women's topic, but this is also a, a topic that's popped up a lot this season with the men. Like, we have never seen the the programs for both the men and the women reach the levels that we've seen, you know, outside of these two head coaches and people are just so quick to fire them after one and a half bad seasons, two bad seasons. In
2: general, people are way too quick to, to, to want to fire people. That's a, that's like a tenet of mine in, in just in terms of an, analyzing all of this stuff. I mean, should we have a, the longest threat in our message board this last week was a guy saying that Dane Landing needed to be fired af- af- after he ruins the program after this year because this last year was so bad it set the program back 10 years. So, I mean,
0: <laughs> people are back 10 years.
2: Oh, yeah. It's a, quite a threat there. People who are, who are who read the message board know what I'm referring to. Like, it was just like, wow, okay, things are not going well. Um So yeah, no, But fans in general, just they want to move on anytime things don't go well from a coaching perspective. It's the easiest place to point fingers in part because these games are really hard to understand and you don't want to blame the players because as Matt said, you want the players to stick around. So you typically, the players you complain about are the older players who can leave and who maybe you don't want to be around or the coaches. So those are the guys who tend to be the scapegoats, even though it could be the case that all the issues are with the young players, all the fans like, but those guys are always the kind of the favorites. Um, you know, so that's just the way it goes, and I, I'm in agreement here. I think I think Graves has a, another season next year. To I think if they have a really good year next year, I don't think he's even remotely on the hot seat. I think if they have another down year, maybe he enters the, the following season, sort of on the hot seat. All right, last question from at l3lack underscore dreams. I think that's Black Dreams spelled with a letter L and then the num- numeral three, uh, which is appreciate it again. A new question askers. Uh, hey fellas, flying in from Cincinnati for the spring game. Great idea. And when I get in a round of golf, Matt, where is the best course? Hashtag bots and audibles.
1: Well, I might defer this to Jared because this sounds, I sound so stupid saying this, but I'm a member at a private club and I only really play at one place. So, like, oh,
0: oh big shot. I, <laughs>
1: I understand like that comes across as a really dick move, and I'm not trying to say that. But I play at one place that's basically a, and it's a private course. But I would suggest Emerald Valley, but I haven't played Emerald Valley in about a year. But that's that or Tokati. Those are the two locations I would send you to. And mind you, Tokati is very far away. Yes. Tokati is 50 minutes away from Eugene, but it's well worth it.
0: Yeah, Tokati is a nice course. I mean, I I never want to drive that far around here, so maybe is that, don't.
2: Is that the one up the McKenzie? Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's That'd a far nice. one. Emerald's really good. Uh, our dear friend Zach Neal at Ducks Wire works there. Mm. Um, so that's a nice perk. Uh, Pine Ridge is in Springfield, which is, I guess, if you're staying in Eugene, Eugene's probably a fifteen or twenty minute drive. Um, that might be my favorite. It's got the best views of the the Willamette Valley. That's our Dude, that's your favorite course it's fun man i like it there's a lot of elevation changes um it's cheaper it's than so em- muddy. Like, well in the summer it's a lot better but granted this person will be here in the spring so yeah for for muddy conditions and course conditions i'd say emerald is probably the best to go to um but i like pine ridge in the summer man when it's nice and dry the the elevation changes the back nine is pretty matte but the front nine is beautiful a lot of nice scenery um, significantly cheaper than Emerald Valley. No disrespect, Emerald Valley, if you're listening to this podcast as a golf club. But um, yeah, overall, there aren't a whole lot of public courses to ha- hit up around here. Um, there are more on the peripherals. Of, and like, um, I don't know. There's there's one up. Uh, uh, if you're I'm coming from Portland. The, yeah.
1: If you're, if you're coming from Portland, I would stop. This is crazy, but I would stop in Corvallis and play Tristing Tree. Hmm. very open course uh it's very similar to emerald valley but it's cheaper as well
2: well and, um, and uh corvallis isn't that far in inter- i mean if you're going to send them to tokati like yeah those aren't, it's that, the that's that's not the same distance as driving
1: to yeah. as, as driving to tokati um it, it's funny because i think in in golf it can you know everyone's preferences are different and I agree that Pine Ridge in the summertime is good, but Jared's love of the front nine. I hate the front nine and I love the back nine. And that's, I think that's what what makes courses awesome is that uh, you can have the flip flop.
0: Why do you not like the front nine?
1: Why do I not like the front nine? Cause I've always found the front nine being the uh, more wet of the two. And it's all, it's all hilly and mushy and, and muddy. Um, and some of the elevation changes are kind of ridiculous. Like it's cool to have elevation change, but the some of the treks up those hills are just like atrocious.
0: That's fair, I guess. At least I'm not sending him to um, Laurelwood.
1: Yeah. That that place had potential, but it's tough. It's, it's awful. No. Yeah. We need uh, that the, the moral of the story here is we need more golf courses um, <laughs> course. in, in mm. the Eugene area because the selection is not very good. Um, and I've already joked about it on Twitter, but like there was this tweet: like if you won the lottery, which is like a it's like one point five billion dollars right now or something like that, um, mm. this is what you should do for from a golf perspective. And I already have a plan: I'd build four golf courses and. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it all mapped out.
2: Uh, let, let, ju- let's just give him the full experience, Matt. You've been to a lot of the courses in the state. Let's just say he has extra time, we've already given him a couple options that are like an hour away. Where else would you have him drive to or
1: visit in the state to play a course? Is there any other places only
0: that he should only check one out? option here?
1: Well, it's I mean it's Bandon. If you're going to play yeah. one place in the state of Oregon, it's Bandon Dunes. Um, good luck getting a tee time though, especially in the spring, and you're going to pay like. $450. Um excuse just, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's expensive. It's expensive to uh play golf at Bandon Dunes in the peak season. Um, that's why a lot of Oregonians go during the winter because it's a lot cheaper. Um if you want to go and get ocean golf though, and mm. don't want to pay Bandon Dunes prices, um, Gearhart Golf Links, that's east of Portland by Haystack. That's a double dip right there. Um you could you could get the Haystack photo, uh see that uh-huh. cool rock feature on the coast and then also play Gearhart Golf Links or you could stay in Lane County and go to the coast and play at Florence Golf Links. Uh hit up uh the casino after you're done too. Do that. That that'd be fun. Florence is a is a good course too. I think those would be two ocean courses that if, if you could play, if you don't want to play abandoned um, dunes and that's a drive too. like from Eugene, I, I did it this year, uh, two and a half hours, but it's a long drive and it's two lane w- road almost the entire way. I hope that's enough for uh, black dreams
2: there in terms of uh golf course options. Um, hope he enjoys his time out West. I'd love to see if maybe he could let us know if he's, you know, how it goes and, and give us a lowdown on the trip. And if, if our golf wrecks, if your guys' is golf wrecks, I don't play golf. So these two are the experts. If golf wrecks, uh, we're, were very helpful. So
1: Absolutely. I, I was not prepared to uh, have Oregon golf talk and it not be Oregon, like University of Oregon, which I would not be prepared for, for that either. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right, uh, that's going to do it for us here on the and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for submitting your questions. Wednesday's show will be entirely devoted to spring football. Oregon opens up spring practice on Thursday. We might throw in a little bit of the Pro re- pro Day recap. Um, Jared's going to be at that um, on Tuesday. So. That's what you're going to be looking for uh, this week. And then Friday, uh, we'll have more discussion after that first practice of what we saw during spring football practice. But until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.